Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to Achten Millwall. Listening to Acton Millwall Emergency Broadcasting Special, a public service broadcast made on behalf of the Real Millwall Fan Show and Acton Millwall, broadcasting from South Bermondsey. Well, hello, dear listeners. Welcome to uh, Acton Millwall. My name is Nick Hart. You're listening to another special edition, and I think this is a special edition because we, we, we're lurching from um, extreme to extreme on this show, but I'm going to welcome to our our, uh, our our good offices, James Hill, Millwall fan and a sports lawyer. Welcome to the show, James. Thanks for having me, Nick. No, you're welcome. Um, I'm, it's odd, I've got, I've got a, just saying off air to James, I've got a, a conversation book later on with Roy McDonough, Red Card Roy, and his tales of the early 80s and, and booze and fueled uh, red card sendings off. The first one to talk to a sports lawyer is that it's a very varied life that I'm leading at the moment, dear yeah. listeners. Spice of life. Uh, makes it spice of life. Absolutely, mate. Now, James, you are a sports lawyer. I just thought it might be nice just to get a little bit of um, background on you. You're a Millwall fan. You're a Millwall season ticket holder, I understand. I am indeed. Block four. Block four. Good boy. Um, and your first Mill game. I just thought we'd introduce you and so that people can listen to you and think, who the bloody hell is this bloke? <laughs> Where's your first <laughs> Mill game? Well, it's an interesting question. I'm not actually sure what my exact first game was. So um, right. my, my, my parents weren't football fans at all, but my, my uncle would occasionally take me down. I think the first time he took me down was sort of mid to late 90s. And in my head, I've always remembered it being Preston North End and being a high scoring game. So I quickly looked yesterday in, in, in prep for this call. And I yep. see there was a there was a game we beat Preston three two at home in the ninety six ninety seven season. So I'm going to go for that. But I also have another early memory um, yeah. of a game against Fulham. And I only remember that because the guy behind me was screaming Quasimodo at Peter Beardsall <laughs> game. And then and then two lads run on, run onto the pitch to to confront a Fulham player. And I'm sure plenty of listeners will remember that game. But as a, as a young lad, that's that's stuck in my head and was probably a. Uh, a one that was always going to stick in my mind. So those, those two, those two come to mind. But I can't pinpoint what the exact one was. That's fair enough. I mean, these are wonderful images. I mean, um, only as Millwall fans can we say things like this. <laughs> the Quasimodo. I mean, in, in, when you report it back cold, you think, what the bloody are you on about, mate? But, you know, in the moment, it's high, high humour. Um, who would you pick out as your favourite Millwall player of all time, James? So, so, be your I, choice? 
when I was younger, I was I was getting into me all my mates sort of teenage years. I was always a big fan of uh, Paul Eiffel and Tim Cahill in the early 2000s team. I thought they were just brilliant players. I really enjoyed watching them. But I, so in, in terms of the current team, I think by far and away, Jed Wallace I think is absolutely a brilliant player. And, and for me, I, I would say he's the best player I've seen at the den in, in my watching time. So, uh, yeah, it's a shame the season's been curtailed when he was on such absolutely. a good this season, and I, I definitely say that those three are then in terms of favourites for, for a variety of different reasons. Oh, good choices, all good choices, mate. Um, which brings us neatly, um, in these times onto the um, the purpose of the call. James, James contacted me um, on our email listeners to ask if um, I'd be interested in doing a talk about what should we call it, James, the current situation, <laughs> I <suppose laughs> you'd call it. <laughs> so, yeah, I think you need about 1500 different titles to uh. Yeah. Now you are you are a sports lawyer, um, so yeah. you're specifically um, focused on on the area of, 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 of sporting um, and sports pursuits and law. Um, what attracted you to that area, James? Is it, is it you know, obviously a Mill fan? Was that was that the kind of hook that brought you into that zone, or was it just um, something you fell into? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I've always been a bit of a sports tragic. So uh, in addition to football, I've, I've played rugby all in my life. I've done a lot of cycling, all sorts of sports. Basically, if there's two people competing at something, I'll, I'll generally watch it. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I just I started training as a sort of run-of-the-mill lawyer in a, in a city firm doing the usual sort of corporate commercial stuff. And I wasn't really yeah. alive to the sporting aspects of it. But um, one of my first supervisors was a guy called Dan G., a lot of people might have seen him on Twitter. He's at Football Law. Uh, and he's also written a very good book that people might want to read if they're interested in sort of the, the background, sort of how football works behind the scenes called Done Deal, which I could recommend if anyone wants to know more about the sort of topics we're going to chat about today. But he was just about getting started in the sort of football side of the law. When I was a tr- little trainee, I was um, helping him out on, on those matters. And that kind of opened my eyes to this concept of, of sports law and quickly realised after that, that just being a normal city lawyer wasn't going to really cut it for me it's not the most exciting world no. to be in and uh, when I realized I could sort of combine my interest and in, in love for sport with the actual job that I did that was uh, something that attracted me so I spent a lot of time attending various sports or events and writing for a few sports or publications and eventually got an interview with my current firm about two years after I qualified so three years ago so I, I now work for a firm called Onside Law very not, not your usual surname and surname law firm but <laughs> No, no, saying what it is. So Onside Law is one of the first sort of specialist law firms uh, focusing on sports law. And we're one of the top ranked um, law firms for sports law work. And we've been going for about 15 years. So what the firm focuses on is sort of a whole range of clients, governing bodies, clubs, athletes, um, agents, brands, pretty much across every sport going to the extent I've even done a matter that's related to pole sports. That's pole dancing for you and me. So it's a little... <laughs> <laughs> it's a real broad range of work but so in terms of high profile clients that people would have heard of obviously work for FIFA the FIA England Wales Cricket Boards World Rugby work for uh, Eden Hazard so it's like a real mixed bag which which is brilliant for a sports geek like me and the firm itself predominantly focuses on some commercial work so sponsorship agreements talent right. agreements events contracts we also do corporate law litigation and employment employment so sort of, uh, in terms of what i do so i specialize in dispute resolution and regulatory law so i won't go into it too much detail and bore people too much but in very simple terms i act for people who are suing people or, or getting sued that's the way i normally describe right. it my work's more or less into three areas so i do commercial litigation so that's 
contractual disputes so between clubs and sponsors. I recently had a claim for a manager against the former club who'd sacked him, beginning payments, severance payments. I've had a claim recently for a club in relation to a player who had to retire due to injuries. It's a real mixed bag. And then I also do sports disciplinary works. So that's generally uh, proceedings brought by governing bodies against participants in sport. So the best example I can give of that is I was involved in the ECB disciplinary proceedings against Ben Stokes in relation to the fight he had in Bristol. So yep. again, another, another complete different aspect. And then the final aspect is um, regulatory advice, so advising clients on the regulatory framework around sport. So another good example of that is we were involved in advising Team Sky on the regulatory aspects of their um, purchase by Ineos to become Team Ineos. So all the work I do is a real mixed bag. And it's it's so Anything and everything, isn't it? It sounds like um, yeah. all human life within the, the sporting context from, exactly. from what you described. It's, it's the one job where you can sit around with um, BBC Sport up on your desktop all day and your uh, managers who encourage you to do that rather than... <laughs> but yeah, in, in terms of football, I, so I, I regularly advise clubs in the Premiership, Championship, SBFL and doing some Serie A stuff at the moment. Then I work with right. agents and clients and, and advise a few managers as well. And a lot, uh, one person I've, I've done a lot of work with that, that listeners may have heard of in the recent events, it's a guy called Nick DeMarco QC, who's one of the sort of leading sports barristers so yeah he's he's pretty much involved in everything at the moment he actually wrote a textbook literally on football and the law so yeah it's a, it's a real mixed bag it's some really interesting stuff so it's 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 better than my old life and uh, it, it keeps me going um now we are in a i'm going to use a cliche here james you're in an unprecedented situation um or are we i mean that we're unprecedented in the global sense but the shutdown of sports um you know, and, and the ramifications of that. I mean, it, I, I've never known anything on this scale, obviously, not in my lifetime. Wartime, I suppose, is the nearest equivalent, but very different sporting, um, you know, context and arena back then. But in terms of the current situation, I've, I've done a few notes here, and forgive me if any of it is, um, you know, naively put, but there's two two main um, highways stretching out in front of us, really, aren't there? There's there's the, the, the football, um, uh, the, the higher league football either being abandoned, which is one one road, one fork in the road, or possibly, uh, and we see this banded around a lot online, the extension of the season in, in some way. So I thought if, if you're happy, we could just touch on those two main areas and um, see, see what conversation flows from those two mm. main highways. I mean... Th- Am I right in saying that's that's in general that's that's the that's the that's the choice that lies in front of authorities at the moment? Yeah, exactly. And there's a variety of of reasons why um, clubs, governing bodies, the international federations even want leagues to be finished now or to be extended. I guess I guess it's probably best to start with the extension of the season. So I think okay. from, from an outsider's perspective. And just extending the season to uh, its natural conclusion is the obvious choice to take. Um, but there are a number of challenges with that. Obviously, the first thing to say is this current lockdown and, and the struggles being faced by, by countries and people all over the world in this disease is horrible. And it really brings the significance of, of football and, and other sports really in, in, into focus. I know the old saying goes that football is the most important of the unimportant things. And obviously, mm. that, that really rings true at the moment but there are obviously a, a number of challenges to extending the season now from a, a governing body point of view that the, the main reasons they will want to uh, keep the season going to the end is obviously uh, commercial and political so 
people would have heard a lot of talk in relation to the Premier League, for example, and, and the EFL having broadcast deals that um, uh, could result in significant amounts of money being clawed back if the games aren't played. And obviously, we all are fully aware that the majority of football is funded by television rights, yeah. particularly at Championship and um, Premier League level. So it, it's clear why, that, it, it, given that that money is vital to clubs, that um, those bodies are desperate to make sure that the seasons are finished. But then you've also got the other aspect, which is the commercial aspect. So you've got sponsors who have paid significant amounts of money to be on the front of shirts, for example, or you've got kit manufacturers who have got contracts for the kits to be uh, used for the remainder of the season. So those sort of commercial and political um, aspects are why I'd say the drivers for completing the season beyond, obviously, the 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 um, need for uh, maintaining the integrity of the competitions and obviously the preference for them to be finished from a sporting perspective. But there are a number of challenges to doing that. I would say from a lot of the talk that's been going around, the, the biggest single factor which is going to affect the ability for the season to be finished is player contracts. So obviously most people will be aware that uh, the season runs in theory, from 1st of July to the 30th of June. And along those lines, the um, contracts of players will run on a season-to-season basis until the 30th of June. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of talk that people said, well, very simply, we can just extend the players' contracts. And that, again, is a very simple, straightforward view, but there are a number of challenges with doing that. The biggest challenge, obviously, being that... um, it's impossible to unilaterally vary a contract. So what I mean is you can't have the FA or FIFA or clubs saying to a player, you have to extend your contract beyond yeah. 30th yeah. of June if it's expiring. Yeah. Um, obviously, players have standard playing contracts. So the only thing that differs, differs between a Premier League player's contract to, a, to another one or an EFL's player's contract to another player is the, the main contractual terms, so the length of the contract the salary they're being paid, the bonuses, stuff like that. And those contracts, as a matter of course, will have dim season as 30th of June, and they won't. Ha- they don't have any terms by which a contract can be automatically varied by one of the parties. So you have to... You'd have to reach an agreement, presumably, to precisely. extend. It's a, it's a two-way street contract it, 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 with agreement. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's the same as, as anybody in any job. You, you wouldn't want your employer coming to you and saying, I'm going to make you work for longer if you wanted to go and work elsewhere. I'm going to deduct you or, or, or reduce your wages. All of that needs yeah. agreement. And uh, again, it may, may seem to think, well, if we need to extend the season by, let's say, a month or two months, that the players could, could simply agree to that. But it, in practice, there are a number of reasons why a player might not want to do this. So the stats I've seen so far from the top, five leagues, so we're talking Premier League and League, Bundesliga, Serie A, League One, approximately about 500 players are going to be out of contract at the end of the season, the figure that I've heard. That's about 20% of the players in those leagues and likely to be somewhere in a similar percentage for, for EFL teams. It's, it's not difficult to see scenarios in which those players wouldn't necessarily want to extend the contract. So let's say, for example, you are um, a player nearing the end of his contract um, nearing the end of your career. A good example of a player that I've heard to fill this mould is Adam Lalana. So yeah. he knows he's got one big contract left, and that's going to be maybe a three, four-year contract with a club um, that he can go to. 
uh, uh, if Liverpool say to him, well, we want you to extend your contract for one month, one of the thoughts that may be going through his head is, well, what if I play for that month? I suffer a significant injury and therefore I can't then go and sign my three-year contract that's going to see me out to retirement and I have to retire. Is, is it worth me agreeing to extend yeah. my contract for, for another month when, when that's the risk? There may be players who don't want to extend because they've fallen out of their club. And another example is players who have already agreed to sign for another club on the 1st of July. So another good example of that is um, people might have heard, I think it's Hakim Ziyech, has agreed to sign to Chelsea from Ajax from the 1st of July. So what happens to, to his contract? Does he have to wait to move at a latter date to in order that he stays at Ajax to see at the end of that contract? Can he come to Chelsea because he's agreed that he's going to go to Chelsea from that point? It's all of these different issues in play create um, create real real difficulties from a sporting integrity perspective because you could end up in a scenario where the team that's played the first 35 games in the EFL could be playing the last nine games with a completely different squad. So how how can you connect the two parts of the season that have been split up when you could have a team that is significantly weakened or a team that's significantly strengthened by yeah. the addition or the removal of players? And, and I think there's another good example in respect of Millwall as a club. So we've got the, the issue of loan players. So we've got Ryan Woods and Mason Bennett on, on loan. Their loan deals will obviously take them until the 30th of June. What happens to them? Do they have their um, loan deals extended so they can continue to have us? But they may even be out of contract. So do they want to sign for us on the 1st of July so that they can see out the season with us? Or does Derby with Mason Bennett, for example, say, well, we're also pushing for the playoffs. Mason Bennett could be a key player for your team. Therefore, yeah. we're not going to extend that loan because that gives you a material benefit, which could give you an advantage over us in the end of the season. There's all these aspects wow. that come into play, which make the, the extension of the season beyond the 30th of June really difficult. And, and even if we were to say, OK, players don't have to re-sign the 30th of June or they do have to re-sign, they can, you, an employee can't force an employee to work for them. And similarly, if, let's say, um, FIFA or UEFA or the FA put a moratorium on players signing for new clubs, they say, OK, you've left your club on the 30th of June. While the season's extended, you can't go and sign for somebody else. Then that obviously gives rise to a restraint of trade argument for those players because we don't know how long this extension is going to last. And that player could be out of work for a significant period of time not getting paid. So that's there's just so, so many difficulties like this, which uh, make extending the season beyond 30th of June so difficult from just from a player perspective. So the simple solution, if that's the right way to put it, but we'll use that word as for want of a better, better one, is to get the, the season completed by hook or crook before the the nominal end of the contract period, which is the, which is the 30th of June, predominantly f- for most players. Um, and that's why, and that's why you've, I think you've had Rick Parry come out a few weeks ago saying he wants to restart the season by yeah. uh, the mid mid June. They say it's going to take 56 days, so that's only a short extension beyond 30th of June, and obviously. In, in an ideal world, it would the preference would be to finish it before 30 of June. But I think being realistic, everybody knows that is just it, it's not going to be possible. There's this is a moving face with with coronavirus. Uh, the lockdown, I think Dominic Raab said yesterday or indicated that it's going to go on for at least another month. That's going to take us to more or less the end of May. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not going to be finished before 30th of June. So those are factors that are really going to have to be thought about in terms of how we move forward if the seasons are extended. 
And just to, I mean, at the risk of asking a silly question, forgive me, listeners, I am not a lawyer. <laughs> um, I mean, every the standard player contract is a standard one. There's, is there any, is, each one is negotiated individually by a player and his representatives with a club. It's, there's no kind of collective element of this. There's no um, trade union element that would say, on behalf of all players, we agree to a one-month extension subject to the appropriate recompense or coverage or whatever. It's an individual thing rather than a, a collective. Is that correct, James? Yes and no. Take it, take it in two parts. So the standard player contract will be a collectively bargained agreement. So in the UK or England, I should say, the PFA will be involved yeah. and has been involved in time in order to um, agree the standard player contract. So that is the body of the playing contract has exactly the same terms for every single player. The only thing that differs is the schedule to that, which sets out, like I said earlier, salary, bonuses, term, all those kind yep. of individual yep. elements which will change between players. And that's the aspect that players and agents will negotiate with clubs when they're signing or, or, or looking to do a contract extension. Now, in terms of how any extension of contracts will be dealt with. People would have seen in relation to certainly the Premier League, um, the discussions that were taking place um, in relation to either the deduction or deferral of wages. And the PFA was involved on behalf of the players. And one of the things they said is it's incredibly difficult for us to agree on behalf of the players. So all players in professional players are part of the trade union, which is the Professional Football Association. Yeah. Um, they, they've made it abundantly clear that what is relevant for a player in League Two, maybe playing for, I don't know, Macclesfield. Yeah. It's completely different to what it's going to be for Kevin De Bruyne or Man City. So for them to take a one-size-fits-all approach is incredibly difficult because the, 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 the difficulties faced by those players or, or not at the higher level are, are completely different. So a lot of it is inevitably going to come down to individual decisions between members of clubs. So you, you would have seen certain clubs have agreed to deferrals, Leeds players have agreed to a deferral and a wage reduction. There are certain caps in championship clubs which have been agreed in the interim. Um, but then when you get down to a lower level where you've got clubs who may be a bit more nefarious in using this uh, to mm -hmm. potentially nudge players out the door, which I've already seen uh, <laughs> it, 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 in my work, you can see how players at that point, it's, it's not collective between teams, it's players having to look after themselves on an individual basis. Um, so uh, with, with a lot of this, and we'll probably come on to this in terms of what happens if we were to finish the season uh, early, it's the, the, the difference in opinions and positions from everybody involved in the game makes it really difficult to have a one-size-fits-all approach. And there's always going to be in this, there's going to be winners and losers. And any decision that gets made is always going to be the least worst option rather than the best option. And open to challenge by by, by lawyers and, and counter counter argument and, and all the rest of it, I guess. Um, I, I'm just struck also. I mean, just making a few notes as we're going along. I mean, we're talking about the the possibility, and it's it, it possibly um, an unlikely outcome, but the idea of playing behind closed doors um, before um, the, the nominal end of the season on on, on June 30, 30th. I mean, that strikes me wearing my, my old trade union reps hat as raising all sorts of question marks, going back to players' individual choices over their own safety, because there isn't enough known about the virus yet to really conclusively say that you could stage a behind-closed-doors event involving uh, 20, 22 uh, you know, squads of maybe 30 players, 
um, staff. It's probably going to be about between 50 and 100 people in, within that stadium to enable that to go ahead, plus broadcast, because there'd be no point of purpose to it unless it is broadcast on television. Um, it, no one can really guarantee the coronavirus-specific safety of those players, um, it strikes me, James. Um, and that's, 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 that's a really, really good point. So uh, listeners would have heard of the concept of a duty of care. So clubs yeah. have a duty of care to their players and they can't put them in a position um, which would affect the player's safety. And obviously it's completely open to a player to say that they don't want to play on the basis they don't feel safe. And there's been a lot of talk. And one of the ideas that was floating around is there was going to be this sort of four-week tournament and everybody was going to get locked down in their own yep. hotels, play the games behind closed doors and make it this TV extravaganza. That's gone a bit cold. But obviously, as you identify, there's so many people involved in that. How do you really um, ensure the safety of everyone there? You can say, well, we're going to, we're going to um, test everybody they come in. But over the period of time it's going to take to do that and the number of people that are going to be involved, it's it's really difficult to <laughs> ensure that 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 um somebody who is infected is going to come in and and pass the disease on somebody else because you obviously you mentioned players, coaching staff, there's also officials, medical staff, groundsmen, security. It takes a lot of people to put on a match even behind closed doors. And you've got a situation where the government is saying no more gatherings of more than two people unless you're with immediate family members and you're going for a walk. How, how do we square that with uh, a squad of 25 players plus um, coaching staff, medical staff, training together? Or uh, another potential aspect is what, let's say we have this kind of tournament or condensed period of playing behind closed doors and then you get a situation where one person in the team gets infected, oh. that spreads to the rest of the team, everyone's isolating. And then you've got a situation where either a team can't fulfil its fixtures or you have a situation where, let's say, let's say Millwall lost um, Jed Wallace, Bart Biakowski, um, Ryan Woods, some of our best players, and we're having to put our second team to go and compete in these games. It creates a real imbalance. And, and it goes back to the point I said earlier about if the squads are changed, is it really the same competition that's, that's continuing? And are we continuing it for continuing its sake? I, I, my preference would obviously be to complete the season, but it shows another another challenge that's going to be faced in making sure that if we do finish the season, that there's that integrity to say that it is the same competition and yeah. it's, it's a good continuation of what's gone before. So no simple solutions lie down the road of um, <laughs> extending the season. <laughs> no, not at all. And then just coming back to the points I discussed earlier in terms of, sort of sponsors, broadcasting contract, let's take sponsors and, and kit contracts, for example, they, they will also run until the end of the season, 30th of June. So what happens if, let's say, a contract for a kit manufacturer is drafted so that it ends on the 30th of June? Let's take Leeds, for example, where I've seen reference. Their current kit manufacturer is Kappa, and they're supposed to be changing over to Adidas yeah. at the end of the season. That may be drafted so that it's um, from 1, of, 1 July rather than the new season, in which case, if the season's going beyond 30th of June, are they going to wear a Kappa kit or are they going to wear an Adidas kit? Or if you have a sponsor who's on the front of the shirt, which which sponsor goes on the front of the shirt? One of those yeah. sponsors is going to be unhappy. And it all comes down to how contracts drafted. And the same with, with Sky. If we push the season back so they can cram in all of the games that they've missed out on so far to ensure they pay, what, what do we do about next season? Are we just cutting off our nose, spite our face and kicking the can down the road and we face the same problem then? It's, it's, it's really, really 
tricky. It's cruel. It, seems really, it seems really simple to say, let's extend the season and finish it, but there's all these factors that need to be taken into account. And I know it's only a game, but it's also a business. There's a lot of money in it. And there's obviously all these factors from employment, commercial, political, which really have to be fought for. And that's why everybody's pulling the hair out and, and trying to bang their heads together to try and reach a resolution and really struggling to do it at the moment, particularly in the landscape where if we know it's going to end on X day, the, the lockdown, then it's easier to plan. But even that's up here, nobody really knows. And it's so complicated. I don't really don't envy people at the, at the governing bodies, the International Federation, not only in football, but all sports who are trying to sort this out. It's, it's an impossible task. I think, well, I mean, I was just looking before we spoke, I was just looking at the Swiss Rambor feed on, on Twitter, which is always, um, you know, it's, it's, it's highly accurate in its financial assessment. It's really um, so I was just having a quick flick through that just before I, we, we spoke today. And I think, you know, to to sum it up in a nutshell, there's going to be a huge loss of income for sports, football especially. Um, it's the biggest sport and the highest um, rated, um, you know, TV TV products uh, around the world. But there's going to be a huge economic impact mm. coming from this this virus. Um, and we're just talking about, you know, the, the sponsorships, you know, that companies may fold, James, that may have had mm. de- signed deals to stick their name on someone's shirt next season. You, you know, so, yeah. It goes on and goes on. I mean, you, there's the loss of TV money, which is probably the most apparent um, immediate impact. But what about um, kit manufacturers may fold? It's a, it's a highly, um, you know, it, it, there's, there's, there's many, many ifs and buts. So I suppose you're balancing all of these factors in, in, in the negotiations that are going to take place with players and, 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 and commercial partners and all the rest. Exactly. And and again, it comes down to the sort of strength and weakness of the parties. Man United are going to be in a much stronger bargaining position than, than an Accrington Stanley. I don't know if any of the listeners follow Andy Holt, who's the Accrington chairman yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. But he came out of a brilliant thread the other day, which explains the situation that they're in. So sort of briefly summarise, everyone would have heard that money has been released by the EFL and the Premier League to help the clubs get through this period. But actually, the majority of that money is just advance on future money. So let's say we have games behind closed doors, even behind closed doors, that's going to cost money to put those games on. Those clubs which rely on matchday income are not yeah. going to have that matchday income to play the start for those games. If they're using the money that's from next season to pay for those games, all they're doing is kicking the can down the road. Because when they come to next season, those central income distributions which they rely on for the 2021-22 season aren't going to be there. So it just means rather than going under now, they could go under in... 12 months time so it's it's an absolute nightmare scenario if you're running a smaller club and if anyone's listening wondering who might be a good example of a club that relies on match day income more than most i think just have a look down zampa road and have a peer, peer through the gates because we're one mm. of them because of the many reasons we're not one of the biggest um financial hitters in in the championship <clears throat> um and you know the the this impact will, will hit um flicking through the swiss ramble but the there's an impact on on the, the parachute payments potential parachute payments for whoever gets relegated from um from uh, from the, uh, the you know the, the premier league and this is going to go a long long way down the pyramid um, and it will even hit the biggest. I mean, I think the Manchester Cities and the Manchester United will feel the chill wind. I don't think they're going to be immune from it. It's just they have greater greater capacity, James, don't they, to, to take it, whereas we don't, for example. Precisely, yeah. And if anyone's followed the, you can go on and Google it, the, the Manchester United share price, that's been going all over the place at the moment. Is it? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, the last time I looked, it was, it was significantly down, and obviously it will be given the, the complete cessation of football. That's going to do, do the middle share price no good at all if they're going down. Well, God knows where we're going to go. Yeah, so, less than 1p. 
So to summarise, extension of the season is no easy business and raises as many questions at every twist and turn as as it answers. So that's extension. The other great highway that lies before us, James, is abandonment, voiding of the season. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You are listening to Achten Millwall. Um, which again gets thrown around. I've, I've even thrown it around lightly, like a, you know, like a, like a, like a, like a, like a flower in the wind, almost. You know, let's abandon it and void it in, instead. But that doesn't exactly solve anyone's problems either, does it? Because how do you settle the the outstanding issues of promotion, relegation, and the financial recompense that would stem from such a such a choice? No easy, easy, easy choices there either. Well, precisely, and there's so many different aspects in, involved in this. So obviously, we discussed at length what we can do to play until it's complete. Obviously, that's not going to happen before 30th of June. And as a result, the, the issues we've discussed come into play. Yep. Then the, the other issues, I think there's sort of three main options that I've seen discussed. So first, there's finish the season how it currently is with no promotion or relegation. And obviously, we'll come on to sort of discuss the, the problems with each of these. There's finishing the season on a points per game basis. So effectively extrapolating yeah. the results so far to work out who finishes where and then the other option I've heard is kind of a mixture of the two so there's no relegation but the teams who finish at the top are promoted and then you have more teams um, put up into an expanded expanded prim yeah yeah okay. and then and then more relegation the next season so you can just see why none of those options is no. a perfect solution so taking first the kind of finishing it now no promotion no relegation obviously that's a huge problem for teams who are pushing for promotion if you're yep. a Leeds or a West Brom you're going to say well we've been arguably the best two teams in the league we're clear we deserve to be promoted whereas if you are at the bottom of the league um if you're a, a, a Norwich or, yeah or Barnsley or, or yeah. Yeah, Norwich in the Premier League yeah you're rubbing your hands together at this because you're thinking Absolutely. well 
I want, I want this to finish now. And actually, one point I should make before we go on any further, in terms of a decision that's going to be made, um, the Premier League and the Football League are companies, they are members' clubs, where each club who is either in the Premier League or in the Football League has one share in these clubs. And any decision um, in terms of how the season was going to be ended, if it was going to, is going to have to be um, voted through by a majority of the clubs. So I think uh, certainly in relation to the Premier League, it's two thirds of so fourteen. Well, I was just going to ask that the the constitution would would I mean you'd, you'd have a you'd have your best men looking at the constitution immediately because turkeys are going to be asked to vote for Christmas to some in some one one direction or another, aren't they here? Because so if it's a two thirds majority, then clubs will you know with, with a vested interest in in the status quo or or, or whatever. <laughs> cast their votes according to what suits them, not any so kind of wider vision of what's right for the game in inverted commas. That's going to be the least of anyone's worries. Precisely. Well, a lot of people might have seen what's been happening in the SPFL over the weekend, so Scottish football. And I'll, I'll just do a quick summary to to, to just show uh, a working example yeah. of what could potentially happen. So it's been an absolute shamble. So the SPFL said to the said to the clubs from Premiership, Championship, League One, League Two. We're going to end the Championship League One, League Two seasons now on a points per game basis. Promotion and relegation from those. For the Premier um, League, we're going to try and play it to the end of the season. And if we can't, we're going to finish on the same base. And the reason they've said that is because UEFA have threatened that any teams that don't finish their leagues are going to be barred from European competition. So that's part of the reason they're taking it. So it's another complication, just grenade throwing. Into the just throw that one in by, by the way, yeah, yeah. of course. So they, 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 they've, they said to the clubs, we want you to vote by Friday, whether you accept this proposal or not. And by the way, if you don't vote in favour of it, we're not going to release the uh, income distributions. So you don't get your money unless you vote for it. So the vote started coming in. Um, and they said we need to have a two-thirds majority, I think it was, in each of the four leagues. It can't be an over, it had to be per league. Um, and on Friday night by 5pm, when the votes were supposed to be come in, um, the SPFL needed one more vote for it to pass. And 5pm came and went, and done, three clubs hadn't voted, but the only one that was holding basically... The, 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 all the cards was Dundee in the championship. Now, <laughs> Dundee claims to have voted no, but then the SPFL have said they never received their vote. And then it appears that the vote hasn't gone in subsequently. So these guys are kingmakers. Now, interestingly <laughs> about Dundee is the votes, <laughs> the, the vote stands to benefit Dundee United, obviously Dundee's arch rivals who are sitting at the top of the championship. So if they vote for it, Dundee United are getting promoted to the... Um, yeah. the premiership and then you've got rangers who are saying who are second are saying no we want to finish the season we're voting against this because we even as implausible as it might sound we think we can catch celtic it's not out of the realms of possibility and then you've got hearts at the bottom who are saying well hang on we've got we i think we're a few points behind we've got seven or eight games to go just because on a points per game basis we're bottom of the league doesn't mean we're not going to survive yeah. the season why why should why should we be relegated and as a result, it's completely blown up. Rangers have put in a load of allegations against the SPFL saying there's been impropriety by the chief exec, by the in-house lawyers. <laughs> it's, it's just chaos. And it's and it's it's a perfect example how this can go completely wrong. And, and there's also allegations that the 5pm deadline they imposed wasn't in line with the league's constitution. Actually, clubs had 28 days. So you've got lower clubs who might not be particularly well-resourced being 
railroad them into a decision where they're thinking we need this money for our club to survive so we're just going to have to have to vote for it so it's an absolute nightmare and it just is it perfectly encapsulates the difficulties obviously we've gone for the difficulties of extending the season but the difficulties in finishing them out Absolutely. I mean, you throw into that particular Scottish mix, the ancient rivalries and, and um, you know, uh, what should we call them? The uh, the, the many issues that, that, that permeate mm. Scottish football in particular. Um, and when you look at the lower league clubs in Scotland, I mean, many of them are not far short of being park level sides with a, with a clubhouse. You know, they're, they're, they're very, very small. Um, you know, I'm sure not short, far short of one or two men bands are running those places. And then you go to Rangers and Celtic, who are European level clubs. So, I listened to a very good podcast the other day, so I don't know if people have heard, you mentioned Swiss Ramble earlier, but there's also the price of football. It's very similar. They did a podcast and they spoke to, I think it's Neil Doncaster, who's the chief executive of the SPFL. I'm sure the number he said is there's only 16 or 17 fully professional clubs in Scotland in their entire existence. So that's the the top tier and about half of the second tier, so it's not many. Total, total sidetrack, but one of my um, quarantine um, boredom killing um, things is I go on Google Google Maps and I, I do like the street view outside various football grounds. I've been going around the Scottish League, lower league grounds, um, Strand Row I was looking at the other night. This is this is how it gets, listeners, um, or Berwick Rangers. And honestly, when you look at them, they are very small scale um, clubs compared with the Giants, Rangers and Celtic. But that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a side issue. Um, so yeah, I mean, try and transpose that to the Premier League with its corresponding riches, James, and you know, pr- promotion to and relegation from and winning of the Premier League, which is I know Liverpool are two wins from winning the Premier League pretty much, but that's still not a done deal in sporting terms. So you know, you would argue, why should they be awarded a, a champion, a, a, a pennant, you know, to to win the win the league? Why would you tolerate being relegated from it or whatever whatever methods they you know, use to decide the final league table. It's 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 open to challenge every twist and turn, isn't it? Precisely. Now, I, I got a bit sidetracked when I jumped into Scotland, so maybe I'll finish what I was saying previously about the various options. So the first one, obviously, you mentioned is no promotion and, and no relegation. Personally, this, this could be an unpopular opinion. My view is that if the season was finished early, no promotion, no relegation is the least worst option. And the reason I say that is this, obviously the teams that are pushing for promotion, they can't say with any certainty that they will be promoted. No. Obviously, you've no. got, in the last nine games, you've got a disparity in the teams that you may be playing. So you could be playing teams at the bottom end of the league, teams at the top end of the league. If you've got a difficult running, there's no reason to say that just because you're top, you're, you're going to stay top. They're not um, uncatchable. Neither Leeds or West Brom are uncatchable. No. Precisely. And we, we all know the... Uh, the, the troubles that Leeds have had getting out of the championship over the years. So there's nothing Absolutely. to say that they're not going to fall apart again, as, as, no. as it has done previously. And in my view, the prejudice that is suffered by the teams that are missing out on promotion is outweighed by the prejudice that will be suffered by the teams that are relegated. Because I think teams... Pre- prejudice in the legal sense we're talking about, which is a, a, a loss, isn't it? A, a yeah, well, not, not, not just that. Just that I, even I'm... Just, I'm straight unfairness because okay. I, I don't I don't think it's fair to relegate a team when they definitely wouldn't have been relegated and obviously let's take Sunderland as an example if you get relegated from the Premier League it's very easy to fall very quickly we've got Stoke and Huddersfield at the bottom of the yeah. championship now struggling and, yeah. And, yeah. and how can it be fair or, or, or more equitable to put a club in that position 
uh, or less equitable to put a club in that position that, than it is to say, well, okay, these, okay, well, you've been the two best teams this season, so you can go up. What if you're a Fulham or you're a Brentford who are really pushing hard and are very good teams? Um, and they could say, well, we, we could have got there. Or, for example, the playoffs, how do you deal with the playoffs? Do you say, Fulham, you're in third place, so therefore yeah. you can go up? Or do you say, well, we're going to win the season now, but we're going to have to have four playoff games or whatever it is, five playoff games to make sure one to six, three to six, get promotion. That's that's a real difficulty. So, so my my view is the only way it can realistically be done is to leave it as and say, sorry, guys, unlucky, unprecedented circumstances, mm. no promotion or relegation. I think being fair to Liverpool and not many people want to be fair to Liverpool a lot of times, but <laughs> I, I, think, I, I think in circumstances where there's no promotion and, and relegation from also no promotion from the Premier League. I think it would be fair to say you could you could be champions, but people might not want to see that. So that's that's obviously that option. The other option that's discussed a lot of people have thrown about is the points per game basis. So yeah, yeah. yeah like I said for, for for the run-ins, it doesn't take into account the quality of opposition a team might be playing against or or indeed just the randomness of football. You may be playing a team that's that's worse in the league, but obviously if they're fighting for their life, that can really change things. I think it would just be unfair to, to have promotion on that basis because how can you say a, a team is because they've done slightly better and they've got an easier run and they don't deserve to be an upper place and the same issues arise with the playoffs. Now, there's a lot of websites. So there's a, Again, there's an interesting website called Experimental 361, um, which some people wow. haven't heard of, which basically the guy's a data statistician and he... Yeah. He, he's got this formula for working out probability of where teams are going to finish in the league every weekend. Um, he extrapolates that against form, against how teams are playing, and, and takes into account the element of randomness to work out the probability of where teams are going to finish in the league. So do you go to that level of detail in terms of doing the points per game? It's Again, it's, it's an absolute nightmare and, and, and not a, a great outcome. And the final one, obviously allowing promotion for some teams and expanding... Um, the, the, the league above for the next season. Again, the same issues I've discussed come into play and all you're doing is creating increased player load down the line and having to cram a load more games in and another thing that you need to vote through and, and that again seems an imperfect situation. So as harsh as it sounds, it seems to me that probably the best scenario if it, the season's not going to be completed is to have and just keep it and say, say sorry guys, it's just just, just unlucky. <laughs> yeah, as I mean... As that is. I mean, I'm just thinking about those various kind of um, algorithmic kind of data-based approaches. And I saw something just before we came on today that I think one of the Vanarama leagues, it might have been the, the one with Dartford in it and uh, Welling. And so you're going down to fairly, uh, you know, fairly uh, way down the tiers, but they were going to settle it based on form in, I can't remember how many games going back. Let's, let's just pluck, say, 10, last 10 games form. Um, weighed against um, the opponents will govern how many points you presume that you would have got and then you can complete a, a league table based on presumed results, based on form. Now, your man there, Mr. Mr. Experimental 361, could conceivably put together uh, some weighting based on, mm. you know, random, uh, who knows? There's, there's all sorts of things that could be achieved. But what exactly. strikes me, James, is, just to finish my point, is, is, is the need to get a two-thirds majority on this with yeah. a bunch bunch of um, businesses with, with number one for each business, each club is their self-interest. And then wider interest comes second. Um, that's going to be a nightmare, absolute nightmare. 
Well, I think that leads us nicely on to my specialism, the litigation, which uh, <laughs> could potentially <laughs> flow out of this. So, so this is where us, us litigators are rubbing our hands together at the moment, not just because <laughs> of the amount of work, because it's just, just so interesting. Yeah. Um, so obviously, let's say the season's ended as it is, no promotion, no relegation. You've got potentially a Leeds, a West Brom, maybe a, a Coventry down in, in League One. Those teams are saying... This, this, this is unfair. What, what potential litigation could there be? So there's been a lot of talk about these 200 million claims, obviously that being equivalent to the um, money to, that, that those teams are missing out on from promotion, obviously the riches of the Premier League. So the, the most obvious claim that's going to come out of that is what's called an unfair prejudice claim. Okay. So in effect, in very simple terms, an unfair prejudice claim can be bought where the decision taken by a company, so obviously in this case the EFL and its voting clubs, is unfair and prejudicial to the interests of certain members of the company. So in this example, it'd be the teams who miss out on promotions. They would need to show that it's both unfair, so that you can see why it's unfair. Mm. Obviously, they can say we were the best team of the season. There was 99.9% certain we were going to get promoted and that it's prejudicial to their interests. So obviously... They're missing out on promotion, what comes of it, the commercial, it's the prize money. And you can see how that can then get extrapolated into significant amount of damages. Now, that's going to be, in my view, a difficult claim to bring, simply because if you look at the circumstances in which this decision is being made, there are no good outcomes. Somebody's going to win, going to lose. Completely unprecedented. And you can see why, because of the, the, the reasons that we discussed why that decision could feasibly be made. So it'd be difficult to say, uh, unlike a, a clear unfair prejudice claim where somebody is making the decision to deliberately leave somebody better off. It's, it's, there's, there's going to be winners and losers in this. And particularly if there's a big majority in favour, it's only, let's say, the two teams who are at the top of the league aren't voting in favour of this. If it's just them on their own, it's going to be difficult to really say that their interests outweigh the interests of the other, whatever it is, let's say 60 clubs across the EFL. So that's that's going to be a difficult game to bring. Slightly different to that, uh, and it doesn't quite work for this example, but people might have heard down, right down low in, in non-league, down even below the National League. Yeah. There are two teams which are actually automatically guaranteed promotion. So Vauxhall Motors in one of the, I think it's the Northwest Counties League, and then there was Jersey Bulls in the Southern League. They're already mathematically guaranteed promotion, and their right. season's been declared null and void so obviously you can see the difference in that scenario now slightly different down there because it's not a members club that's run by the fa and the local um league organization so they're not members in the same way where they could say they could necessarily bring an unfair prejudice claim but you could see how let's say if leeds were already mathematically guaranteed promotion they were denied promotion you can see how that would be automatically unfair but where there's still an element of chance that they may or may not get promoted it's very very difficult to say that they, they've been denied promotion in those circumstances. So that's probably the main claim that's going to come out of that. And one other uh, thing just strikes me as you, sorry, I'm in, in, interrupting with apologies. Um, one other thing I suppose you'd throw into the mix for any, any, any club, whether it be Jersey Bulls or whether it be Leeds United or anyone else for that matter, um, is the potential for costs because um, 
one thing I do remember from my old law lecture when I did housing was that there's always one side that loses, no matter how good your lawyer is. If you lose, your you, your side bears the costs of the of the production, so to speak, and that's going to be something that weighs very heavily on the minds of lower league clubs, James. Exactly, and and, and a claim like this, if you wanted to see it through to to, to the high court to, to full determination, you're looking at, at six figures. Minimum. Yeah, get get ready. Yeah. Put yeah, hand in your start writing a check, and um, as you say, there's, there's the loser pays principle in, in English law, and obviously there are a few caveats to that in terms of the conduct of the parties and whatever. But generally, as a rule of thumb, um, the losing party will pay between sort of sixty and seventy percent of the winning party's cost. So if you're saying a quarter of a million pounds, uh, <laughs> paying sixty to seventy percent of that to the other party and then you've got your own costs on top that's for the pleasure that's, of losing yeah that's, wow. that's, a re- that's a really terrible afternoon in court if you're the losing <laughs> party so it's um yeah it's it's no real winners there um so that's obviously the unfair prejudice aspect but then there's other potentials so you've got breach of contract claims so if you look at the spfl scenario there could be a claim from a, a team who's prejudiced to say well that the rules weren't followed properly your um articles of association say you have to do it in this um in this way in this manner yeah. in, in that manner therefore we we've suffered damage as a result or then you've got how should prize money and broadcasting revenue be distributed amongst the teams um does it you finish first you get the top money you audit it is it split in a completely different way I, i'm not too sure so that's another issue and then then we're getting into the sort of really murky claims that I would struggle with discussing you've got competition law claims which are notoriously complicated and right. people, unfair prejudice claim would be expensive but competition law claim is going to be next level so you could have teams arguing that the decision was anti-competitive as a matter of european law um and that's that gets really, really difficult i wouldn't even be able to begin to tell you how that starts because that's an area that I, I don't specialize in but yeah the, the claims that can come out of it are, are, are myriad I, I, personally i think an unfair prejudice claim is going to be difficult and with a breach of contract claims as long as the fl premier league whenever are taking their time and they will be making sure that they're properly advised and they're doing everything by the book not a back of a fag packet um calculation mm. of how to do this they're going to be covering off every single base because they want to make sure when it comes to the, the day of reckoning they're in the best position not to not to be facing a torrent of claims coming down down the line to them i mean abandonment raises other 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 things that I've just written a couple of um, back of my um, envelope um, list here of questions. I mean, you've got the potential for unplayed football. Um, Sky Television would have contracted for yeah. X amount of football over the course of the regular season playoffs and and the and the and the, and the, uh, the Wembley finals. Blah blah blah. BT Sport would have contracted for the same in the Premier League and 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 the lower leagues. I think they cover. Um, just to quickly jump in on those as well. Uh, people will be fully aware that the, the, the business models of Sky in particular is predicated on people buying packages for mm. sports. Without taking football away from them, they're, they're really struggling because ultimately it is um, football which drives those subscriptions. And that's why it's a sports channel. Yeah, absolutely. That's why they're paying billions and billions every year for these broadcasting rights because it gets people buying Sky. I, I wouldn't buy a Sky package no, no, if it wasn't for the football. And I'm sure that everybody who listens to the majority of people who listen to be exactly the same. We've suspended our Sky, uh, the, 
BT did a thing because we subscribe to the two, but um, BT at the moment, I think you can opt to make a, a donation of your fee to the to the NHS. So we're not watching any of it. You know, I mean, I said to my wife last night, I, went, I haven't looked at Sky Sports since this this thing began. Well, that's <laughs> that's not a great business, um, you know, a, a great business future for Sky Television, BT Sports. Yeah. Um, and, you know, on, on a smaller scale, but still very real, the further down the, the, the pyramid you go, that's that's um, refunds of season tickets and tickets sold. Um, people have paid for money for games that they will not now see, potentially, if you null and void or abandon the season, as the case may be. So yeah, I, think that's, I think that's a pretty easy one to deal with for the clubs obviously if you bought a season ticket which says you're going to get 23 games you've i don't know how many home games we've got left maybe four or five mm-hmm. um obviously if you've not been provided with the, all of the games that, that, that you were entitled to see then that obviously amounts yeah. to very, very simple four times four times a breach of contract um but i think most clubs are being pretty fair about this i think they will all say you can have your money back obviously whether they can give people's money back if they've got no money left by the end of it for some of the smaller clubs is a difficulty and then I know a lot of fans are saying well I appreciate the club needs the money at the moment so I'm not going to ask my money back or I'm going to buy my season ticket for next year which is quite noble if you can yeah. do that that's but a lot of people are in really difficult trouble being, being furloughed yeah. losing their jobs and you can see why people want their money back but for, I, I've done a lot of ticketing work in the past particularly in, in relation to secondary ticketing um so buying tickets from buy a go-go and stuff like that the general government guidance is if a, if a t- uh, ticket gets cancelled or can't be performed, then the um, the uh, issuing ticket, so be that a club or if you're going to a concert, the concert organiser should really be giving the money back. So I, I don't envisage that necessarily being a problem and fans should be able to get their money back from, from, from clubs. But obviously it will differ on a, a club-to-club basis. Some might be acting in more self-interest than others, but um, hopefully that, that shouldn't be too much of an issue for people. No, I mean, the, uh, you're right. I mean, the, the, the kind of the legal side of it is, is fairly clear cut and there shouldn't be any question. But I suppose what struck me is the financial hit that that's going to cause, because if you're giving money back, then it's, it's going in the wrong direction from a business point perspective yeah. isn't it so yeah. as much as the the law and the morality of it or whatever else you want to call it is is, is there you it's still going to hurt to be sending money back from whence it came so that's going to hurt a lot of clubs all the way down the line um it's it's an incredible situation james mm-hmm. and i think i mean you've summarized it brilliantly and um really appreciate your time doing this because um you know it's, it's, it's nuance upon nuance upon twist mm-hmm. upon turn in all of this with no simple solution um no. we've we uh, only know. really touched on some of the big issues there's still so many more little ones that are that, that come into play that, that that are there you've got transfer windows financial fair play yeah. contracts for playing staff non-playing staff i don't know if you can talk about them if, if, if you like to but um, go for it yeah 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 no if you've got time i'm Conscious well, of your, you know, you're, you're at work, and I'm, I'm, I'm idling here. You know. <laughs> well, I find this really interesting, so I can, I can talk about. It. Well, that's the shame we're not in the pub doing it. I'm, I'm stuck in the pub. <laughs> oh no! When we can, when, when pubs come back to life, we'll, I'll take you up on that offer. We'll do that. But um, yeah, no, no, just, just running through some of them really quickly. So obviously, you've got financial fair play. Now everyone knows the FFP problems in the championship. Um, a lot of clubs are really pushing the boundaries of FFP. And let's say, for example, a club needs to sell uh, three or four players in the summer to balance those books. If there's no summer, if there's no transfer window, if they can't sell those players 
how are they going to balance the book? So I think a lot of the noises that are coming out is that FFP is going to be relaxed because even if it wasn't relaxed and those players need to be sold, the, the, the transfer market is going to be seriously depressed. Decimated, so, yeah. So, so if you look at it from, again, it comes back to bargaining positions. If you're a big club with plenty of money and you, let's, let's, let's say, let's take Jed Wallace, for example, we've heard 15 million banded around for him. Um, yeah. I don't know the financial situation of, of the club now, but let's say a Premier League club comes in and says, well, we were in good times, we were prepared to pay 15 million for you. And normally we'd say, okay, we're going to give him a five-year contract that we're going to pay you three million pounds a year. And um, that's normally how a transfer deal would work. They, they could turn around and say now, well, we know you're strapped for cash. So I'll tell you what, instead of giving you three million a year for five years, we'll give you seven million up front um, because we know you need the money. And you can see how these these power games are being played all over um, yeah. football if the transfer window does come into play. Because obviously what's going to happen in the transfer window, that's normally from the end of the season to the start of the new season. You can't say we're going to extend the season, we're going to have a transfer window stuck in the middle of that. Because obviously if, if people are going to say, well, I need, I need to survive, I'm going to go and spend 10 million on a striker's coming for the last two games to keep me up. That's why transfer windows were put in the first place because you had teams flying around clubs and, and helping people out and almost like a sort of a mercenary approach to it. Yeah. That's going to be another difficulty. Now, FIFA is saying we want to amend the transfer windows so then between the seasons. But what happens if La Liga, Bundesliga, Syria and the Premier League are all finishing at different times? How does the how does the transfer window fit in between them? Because generally they're all finishing 30th of June they coordinate. Yeah, and, and starting sort of middle, late August. It's it, it, that, that in itself is a really difficult situation. <laughs> We've not even discussed it. It's, it's, it's the most, it's like, I don't know, really terribly, it's like doing a jigsaw puzzle blind almost. How, how, do, you, how do you fit all the pieces together? It's, it's nightmare. We, you're fitting together a jigsaw blind without even, even if you were not blind, without even the picture to look at because there's no yeah. precedent. There is, there, I mean, we keep using this word and, and precedent is a feature of law, telling the lawyer what the law is, um, because it, that gives you guidelines so that you can work. There's really nothing like this has ever happened yeah. before. Yeah. There isn't. And I actually read interestingly the other day that when World War II started and they decided just to stop football, null and void it there, that was... In, in September, so the season had barely started, so it was much easier to do. But the difficulty we've got here is this happened right in the in the business end of the season. Absolutely. This if, this, if this had happened in September or October, people would have gone, fine, let's just bin it off and yeah. start again next season. And that's that's part of the reason my my view is the best outcome is just to say, least worst option, end it now. Let's try and protect the integrity of competitions going forward because you don't want to have a situation where we cut off our nose to spite our face and say, we're going to finish this come what may and then what happens next season if it drags on until we play half the games in the season. We only play 23 games in the season, 46. It just knocks on into the future and, and it just it kicks the problem down the road in my view. You'd have to reformat next season entirely, which, you know, again, uh, how doing what, how, and that's that from scratch, from a standing start, you, then that would raise questions of the broadcast monies and everything that we've touched on in this show so far, just kind of continue on, don't they? I mean, you, you don't have any end to it. So I, 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 I see your point. I see that um, no promotion, no relegation, call it call it quits with all of the <laughs> the many the many issues that that does raise but it's probably the simplest simplest yeah. outcome that's the right mm. way to put it <laughs> um 
when I mean, uh, I'm not really asking a legal question here, but I don't know. Is is, is there any um, framework? Is there any time? I mean, I suppose you've got the ticking clock of the 30th of June that the football's working to. Really, I mean, it, it, uh, uh, these these issues will be decided by a video conferencing of the of the EFL and the, and the Premier League on on a vote basis. I guess. I mean, that, do you know how it works in that way? Um, not off the top of my head, no. no. I, I, I'm not privy. I'm not involved in any of discussions that are going on, so I'm not too sure what time frames they're being worked. So I'm, I'm just picking up on the information that, that I'm reading the press. But I'm sure there are discussions going on um, face actively <laughs> in video calls between all the stakeholders. But also, there's going to be side conversations. There's going to be people trying to get support from it, which is the, the way these kind of things in the corridors of power always work. Everybody's going to be scheming and trying to basically get an outcome that's in their best interest because obviously that's that's what independent businesses need to do. You'd hope that people can get to some kind of bank heads together and come to a decision which is going to be everyone's interest, but for the reasons we've already discussed, it's, it's, yeah. it's a really difficult, difficult task. James, this has been fantastic, mate. I'd really like for you to stay in touch. And as the picture develops maybe we can have another conversation another day once we know a little bit more about which direction the uh the, the good ship football is going to going to sail in because i think at the moment we've raised a, a, a fantastic range of questions and it's going to be interesting to see as as these are tentatively answered over the weeks ahead um what other questions get raised <laughs> <laughs> and i've really i've really enjoyed talking to you and um it's good being able to speak to you because when i try and speak to my wife about it she just flies and weeks away <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to pick it up in, in a few weeks or in a, in a couple of months' time when there's more clarity. And if anyone has any questions in the meantime or bits they, they'd like me to, to expand on in a, in a future podcast, I'm, I'm more than happy to do so. Wonderful stuff. Um, really appreciate your time. James Hill, sports lawyer. What was the name of your company again, James? Just in case there's any it, listening um, big, <laughs> big, big it's, hitters. Uh, it's, it's Onside Law. So if anyone ever has any work or wants to get in touch, um, feel free to do so. And if anyone wants to chat about it feel free to, to ping me an email any any lucrative big hitters out there get in touch with james that's, that's <laughs> brilliant stuff james i really appreciate your time mate thank you for doing this no, um welcome. wish you well and um we'll speak again very very soon thank you very much james hill any thanks Achtung Millwall and the Real Millwall Fan Show are the number one Millwall podcast and we want to hear from you. So get in touch with us. Let us know your thoughts, your views, your rants about all things Millwall. We've got email, achtungmillwall at gmail.com or one word, achtungmillwall at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us and leave us a voicemail on 0208 144 0232. That's 0208 144 0232 leave us a voicemail no human will be involved in the receipt of your message so give us a shout tell us what you think about all things Millwall and the best messages will be read out on air Achtung Mailball A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.